Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning, everyone. It's Friday, November 10th, 2023. Welcome to this edition of Public Policy This Week here on KYMN Radio. Public Policy This Week is dedicated to discussing important public policy topics, and each week our expert guests enlighten us about important policy issues, challenges, and opportunities. We're glad you've joined us today. I'm John Olson, one of your co-hosts for today's show. And uh, I am Steve Swiggum, your other co-host for today's show. Uh, Tomorrow is Veterans Day, John. And today's show, we'll take a deep dive into the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs to learn more about how our state supports America's and Minnesota's military veterans. Uh, With us to discuss the topic and give us all the information about the, the Veterans Affairs Department is the Acting Commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, Brad Lindsay. As Commissioner Brad Lindsay is charged with assisting the state's uh, close to 300,000 veterans and their families. He also represents the department at hearings before the Minnesota State Legislature and the U.S. Congress, and he maintains close working relationships with the Veteran Service Organizations of Minnesota. Lindsay's been the Deputy Commissioner of Programs and Services for MDVA since September of 2014. Brad Lindsay is also a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He started his military career in the U.S. Army and served 14 years in the military police within both the regular and reserve components. During his military service, he was deployed to Kuwait, Iraq, Jordan, Germany, and Panama, and is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Combat Action Badge, the Army Achievement Medal, and two awards of the Army Commendation Medal. Commissioner Lindsay, uh, welcome to Public Policy this week at Kim Radio in Northfield. Um, Commissioner Lindsay, uh, maybe just a little background about yourself. Uh, John has mentioned a few things, but uh, uh, folks listening to Kim ought to realize that you, and I didn't know this, you have real connections to the area down here. You lived in Nurse Strand, which is about, what, eight miles out of town here? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and, I did, uh, absolutely. A great connection to the Nurse Strand meat market there that is well-known <laughs> around the, uh, not this area, that's state-known, maybe even national-known. I know when my... Uh, Sisters come home. They have to bring home the Nurse Strand hot dogs and Nurse Strand dry beef and the green bologna. They got to come and get it back home, Brad. It's it's hard to beat. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Lived there five uh, or six years actually in Nurse Strand, and then uh, um, uh, a good twenty years in Faribault. So uh, still right there in the area. So. Well, you're right in our listening audience. Uh, you say hi to all your friends from Nurse Strand and Faribault, and as you know, you've been to Northfield many, many, many times, and having lived uh, that close. Absolutely. Yes. Good morning to everyone. Uh, Commissioner Lindsay, uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Uh, as a veteran yourself, how do you view the importance of Veterans Day and, and the solemn responsibility we have as a nation to support our, our military veterans? Well, why a Veterans Day, Brad? Yeah. So, um, you know, Veterans Day, of course, uh, is based off what of was originally Armistice Day which was uh, you know, the uh, end of World War One, which occurred on uh, November 11th of uh, 1918. Uh, that, that year after, uh, on the anniversary of that date, it was the first actual Armistice Day, and that is, uh, came to be a, an official state holiday, or official federal holiday and state holiday, and uh, eventually morphed into Veterans Day. But, you know, I think the, uh, the importance of it is, especially today, is the veterans population and those who serve is becoming a smaller population every day. 
Um, so making sure that we're recognizing and remembering those who stepped forward for their for their country um, to be honored, uh, because, like I said, uh, I, I think something in the, the youngest populations right now, I've, I've heard the numbers are like 1% or less than 1% serve. Um, back in your World War II generation, uh, the greatest generation, of course, it was almost flip-flopped uh, on those numbers. But uh, as it gets smaller, I think it becomes ever more important to recognize those few who bear the burden for, for freedom. Yeah, November 11th, the uh, Armistice Day of uh, the agreement between Germany and the Allied Nations was uh, the 11th hour of the 11th day uh, of the November month. 11th. Yeah. So 11, 11, Correct. 11. So, uh, again, just a little aside before John asks the next question, uh, Brad, you know, our, our recognition of our veterans is so very, very important to me, to, to all of us, I'm sure. Um, there are two spots in this world that if you ever went to, and Brad, you have probably been there, but if you ever stood on top of the Arizona Pearl Harbor on the platform there, and if you've ever been to Normandy, to the beaches, and imagine what took place there, um, you, 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 if you're not passionate and emotional at that time, you're probably not alive. Yes, yeah, absolutely, uh, just a, a sense of awe uh, so, Commissioner, you you mentioned uh, the numbers of kids that are that are joining the military today. Uh, a, a, as a as a Naval Academy grad and and somebody who was lucky enough to serve as president of the alumni chapter here in the Upper Midwest, we've been very keen on making sure we keep track of uh, the numbers of kids that are that are you know applying to the service academies, joining the military, etc. We're actually down to only about twenty seven, twenty six, twenty seven percent of the kids who graduate from high schools today even being eligible to serve in the military. So that, that number of, uh, of young people, young Americans who actually just choose to serve in the military has gone down dramatically uh, since what we had in the past. So uh, your statement a little while ago about you know, the numbers of veterans we have is declining. That, that is true uh, from demographics and, and just from the all-volunteer force and the way we do things these days. Uh, Commissioner Lizzie, could you give us kind of, sort of a sense of when and why the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs was created, and, and, and broadly, what duties and responsibilities is it charged with today? Sure. So uh, as a department, as a, a state-level uh, cabinet agency, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs uh, came into existence uh, via session law in 1943. Um, much like the federal side of things, it was kind of pieced together uh, from different programs uh, uh, that already existed for veterans in, in different areas. So uh, one of the oldest programs we have actually predates the agency. Our uh, state soldiers assistance program was originally created in uh, 1923. So we've been celebrating the 100th, uh, 100th year of that program and taking a real hard look on uh, moving into the future, uh, what we need to do, what might need to change to, to better serve those veterans. But uh, that was actually under what is now, uh, it was called at the time the Board of Control, but it's now called the Department of Human Services. So when the agency was created, that was removed from the Board of Control and moved over to the control of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, additionally, the, the veterans' homes uh, which had been under a uh, Veterans Home Board uh, 
were created. Actually, the first Minneapolis Veterans Home uh, started construction in 1888 and was finished in 1889. Um, another piece that eventually came under the department uh, during uh, uh, World War II. Um, so, like I said, it was kind of the same at the federal level. There were a, a lot of uh, disjointed services to veterans. There were a couple different pieces in different agencies. Um, and after World War I uh, on the federal side, it was decided that those really needed to be consolidated into what became the Veterans Bureau back then, uh, which was in 1921. So I think the state really kind of was just following suit from the federal, just a uh, little bit, little bit on the later side to that. So you mentioned the Minneapolis uh, Veterans Home w was started uh, 1888, I think you said. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So yes. I, it's my understanding that the Veterans Administration, uh, not not you know that organization itself, but the idea that America needed to take care of our veterans, actually stems from the Civil War. And uh, President mm -hmm. Lincoln's speech at the, you know, the Getty, Gettysburg Address, incredibly famous, it was sort of a commitment to uh, the, the veterans of our wars would be cared for, uh, certainly as they aged, uh, any injuries they received, things like that. Is, th is that sort of, is that your understanding as well, that that's where America sort of took the responsibility for caring for our veterans? It really was. It really was the first um, you know, there were some earlier attempts, uh, I, I believe, after uh, the uh, revolution and uh, after the uh, War of 1812 and stuff like that. There was a Bureau of Pensions that was created, and then um, that was kind of it until they started creating the uh, soldiers' homes, which they called them in most cases, which really ramped up, yeah, after the Civil War. Um most of the things back then focused more on the rehabilitation and um, just giving those veterans who were maybe having trouble uh, coping to readjustment, giving them a safe place to live and to, to earn their keep and, and to, um, you know, not end up on the streets, uh, if you will. Um, but then after World War One's when when the state and uh, the federal government really started getting serious about the the issues uh, that veterans were facing. Um, you know, you've heard things about probably the, the bonus uh, marches and, and the marches on Washington, D.C. from the World War I vets who were trying to get the benefits that uh, they had been told they were going to get uh, when they went off to war. Um, at the same time as kind of when all the veterans organizations uh, came into uh, existence and really helped to push forward that legislation at all levels to create things like the uh, federal VA and um, our state organizations that serve veterans. Commissioner Lindsay, let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the programs that you provide at the Veterans Affairs and uh, maybe a little bit about the funding that you received from the state of Minnesota. I, we talked, uh, John talked, and you just spoke a little bit about Veterans Home in Minneapolis in the 1880s. I think we have five Veterans Homes statewide now. Uh, we do. Cur currently, um, we, we do have five. Uh, four of those provide skilled nursing care, long-term care, and then uh, our facility uh, at Hastings, and then part of our facility in Minneapolis are domiciliary programs. So they're licensed as board and care 
uh, facilities. So not not to that level of skilled nursing care. So and, and we're three more getting ready to open here any day um, in uh, Bemidji, Montevideo, and Preston. Uh, we received funding for those. Uh, I believe it was about four years ago now and uh, from the state and then uh, the matching funds from the federal government. And we've been getting those built and, and uh, getting the support of the communities. And uh, now we're working on finishing those up and getting them staffed. And we will have eight veterans homes okay. uh, across the state. And the three new ones are all uh, also long term. Be- Be- Bemidji opens this fall. Is that correct? If, if you get it staffed correct. appropriately, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Staffing is always an issue. And, and uh, we do have veterans home in Fergus Falls. Yes. Uh, and I believe when I was Speaker of the House, uh, I believe we opened the one in Laverne, which would have been about 2000 or 1999. Correct. Yep, I believe that's right. Yep. And then we have one in Silver Bay. And then, of course, the original home still in, in Minneapolis. And then, uh, as I said, the domiciliary facility at Hastings. Brad, could you just speak very, very briefly and generally to the uh, um, the annual budget, to the budget that uh, the MDBA receives uh, from the legislature? Sure. Uh, it's always a question of finding money and money for resources and programs. But uh, over the years, give me a little trend as far as the budget of the uh, uh, Veterans Administration. <laughs> it's uh, so I, I started with the agency in 1999, and uh, at the time we did not have the veterans homes. The, the veterans homes being part of the department has been um, an on and off thing over the, the decades. Um, at the time I joined, they were under a separate veterans home board, but uh, our agency at the time had 28 staff. We had one uh, veterans cemetery and our total budget was about five and a half million dollars. Um, the difference now, and, you know, makes a big difference having the homes, of course, but we took over the veterans homes in 2007. Uh, our budget currently is $186 million. Um, and we have about $78 million, uh, dedicated right now in construction funding as well. So for a total of about 264 million. Uh, and we have about 1,400 employees uh, in the agency. So definitely been some growth uh, and, and uh, um, staffing and, and services provided, though, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we provide just a plethora more benefits than we ever provided back in, in my early days in the agency. Um, Let's so talk about we've been a very well supported by the legislature and by the governors. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, we always like to say, and we like to hear that veterans are kind of a nonpartisan issue uh, and that we get support from everyone for those. So we appreciate that. Well, we're glad to hear about that priority, uh, Brad, for sure. Uh, and some of the programs besides the, the homes, which we have, uh, and I'm sure that's a significant number of, uh, of uh, personnel that we have there. Um, but you do run, uh, we do run programs for uh, assisting veterans in job searches. Um, we do run programs for educational benefits. Uh, I think run through your department. The Minnesota GI Bill is run through your department. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes, sir. Maybe, yep, we get about six million dollar open appropriation for that every year. And uh, can a veteran? 
a veteran, is it just veteran or is it also veterans dependents that could qualify for that uh, GI Minnesota loan? Uh, there, there are uh, cases for those uh, veterans dependents where the veteran or the service member um, either died of a service-related disability or um, died in service where they're eligible for benefits as well. Yes. And, and that allows one of our veterans up to, uh, is it 15000 That's what it used to be. I don't know if it's still that number or not. In, in, yes, uh, we just uh, we actually benefit? just got an increase. It was a ten thousand dollar lifetime benefit for the Minnesota GI Bill. It had been that way uh, since about two thousand eleven, I believe it was. And so this past legislative session, we asked for that to be increased. And so yeah, uh, fifteen thousand dollar lifetime benefit, and it's uh, all veterans up until the age of sixty two. So it uh, you have it for a lot longer period than than you would your federal. Uh, GI Bill. We also have some kind of unique things with that that uh, are, are uh, we're hoping to get used more, but we have licensure and certification. So one one very unique thing is if you're a, a plumber, an electrician, a nurse, any kind of uh, uh, career that requires uh, paying for a license fee every year, two years, whatever it may be, uh, you can uh, if you're a veteran, you can apply for reimbursement uh, of those licensing fees uh, through the Minnesota GI Bill. Um, it's kind of a, a little known thing and a lot of value to someone who's a, a licensed professional. Brad, as we're talking about these programs for our veterans, and hopefully they're utilized well and people are aware of them, our vets are aware of them. Uh, real quickly, could you tell us just a little bit about the um, the job search that you do in, in helping supporting veterans and maybe uh, a little bit about veterans preference, which we have in law as well. Sure. So the actual, um, the department of employment and economic development actually is responsible for the, the vets employment and training uh, service programs. So the workforce centers uh, all have uh, veterans representatives and uh, what they call uh, DVOPs, Disabled Veterans Outreach uh, um, personnel, who assist with the actual hiring and job searches and, and promoting veterans to uh, employers, which is a big piece of it, uh, you know, expounding to employers on, on the benefits of hiring veterans. Um, we work very closely with them, and uh, uh, we hold uh, regular events with them, such as the, the annual uh, uh, Veterans Employment Career Fair, uh, which is usually done, uh, I believe, every July is when we're doing No, I think we moved that to May, actually. But um, that, that's kind of our involvement on the employment side. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, we also have the Veterans Preference uh, Officer is assigned to our department. And they're responsible for uh, enforcement uh, because there are certain laws in hiring uh, with veterans preference, but also in discharge of veterans who work in public employment. Um, and it's a little different between different levels of government. Um, the, the state veterans preference laws are slightly different than the ones that apply to the counties or the, the school districts and things like that. But um, there's, there's a lot of good uh, uh, incentives uh, for us or, or for hiring veterans. Um, there's extra, you know, points that are added to final scores to give veterans an extra boost. Um, we have uh, the recently separated veterans program at the state 
which requires uh, any veteran who uh, served or was discharged after 9-11-01 who meets minimum qualifications for a state job, uh, the state uh, hiring authority is required to actually give them uh, an interview uh, for the top five candidates of that. Um, additionally, we have a direct appointment authority on any veteran who is 30% uh, or more service-connected disabled by the federal VA we can, if they meet the minimum qualifications for the job, we can direct appoint them to the job non, on a non-competitive basis. So we use that in our agency quite a bit to, to fill our ranks because uh, veterans helping veterans is what it's all about with us. Uh, could you do us a, just a quick favor so make sure our listeners understand? Can you differentiate between the federal level Veterans Administration and the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs? What are the different duties and responsibilities between those two organizations? Yeah, so um, I, I always say that, so the, the federal VA, uh, their, their main focus is, I would say, are the Veterans Health Administration. So they run all of the veterans uh, medical centers or hospitals across the United States and then the local uh, community-based outpatient clinics. Um, they also are, uh, the Veterans Benefits Administration is where you apply to if you had a disability that occurred in service and you're looking for assistance with that and to get that, uh, as they call it, service connected uh, so that you can get a, a monthly payment and other ancillary benefits that are kind of attached to that, that status. Um, they, of course, uh, administer the federal uh, the United States GI Bill uh, and they run the uh, National Cemetery Administration. So any of the national cemeteries like in Minnesota would be Fort Snelling is the only uh, only national cemetery. Um, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, I always say we kind of serve two purposes. We either uh, assist and advocate for veterans who are uh, trying to obtain their federal benefits. Uh, so anyone who needs assistance with their disability claim, we help them with the paperwork, we represent them in their appeals if necessary, all of that sort of thing. Um, and then the other side of the advocacy is, I, I, I say, filling the gaps. So the federal VA and as well as the state VA, we, we can't do everything for veterans that's needed out there. And sometimes government is not even the most efficient way uh, to get it done. So we, uh, a good example is early on in the, uh, um, after the, the, the global war on terror started, the VA was really having trouble responding to the mental health needs. Uh, they didn't have enough uh, folks or enough staff to really meet the needs. So uh, we created, uh, with the blessing of the legislature, we received funding to uh, set up what we call our core program, which is a partnership with Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota to provide mental health care uh, and counseling services to veterans across the state. Uh, the great thing with partnering with them is they have contracts all across the state with different community providers. So we could contract with them and if a, a veteran in War Road needs uh, some mental health services, they don't necessarily have to go all the way to uh, you know uh, Fargo VA or something like that to get those services 
they can go to a local provider under our core program in their own area uh, and, and have us pay for that. So filling, there's a lot of gaps like that. Homelessness is another one. Um, you know, the feds have done a lot of work on it. They provided a lot of funding, but still there's certain groups of those who served that fall in the cracks and don't quite qualify for a lot of those federal benefits. So uh, we've created programs to, to fill those gaps and to make sure we're getting and, and taking care of all uh, the homeless veterans and former service members out there. Uh, for our audience, you're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm John Olson, and my co-host Steve Svigum and I are talking with Commissioner Brad Lindsay, who leads the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, before we uh, move on to the next set of questions, Commissioner, could you just give us kind of a brief overview, demographics of who Minnesota's 300,000 veterans actually are? Give us a little bit of the data be- behind those numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I always like to preface it uh, that the the answer with is uh, um, nobody really knows exactly <laughs> who all the veterans are in the state or how many we have. Um, you know, folks are released from service, and uh, if they have Minnesota's or home record, we do receive their military discharge documents uh, at our level, and we record those and we try to reach out to those veterans. But of course, there are always people moving into and out of the state and and no one's tracking them. So the numbers that I I talk about are estimates that the VA makes based off of uh, the census data and their own actuary tables. So yeah, right now uh, they'd say we have about 294,000 veterans uh, living in Minnesota. The majority uh, are your Vietnam veterans. Uh, As I said earlier, there was a lot higher uh, level of service in the previous generations, like World War II, almost everyone served. And that's kind of uh, gone down over the years. Um, World War II now being our smallest group at just under 5,000 estimated uh, remaining in Minnesota. Um, About 20,000 served during the Korean era. About 37,000 served uh, Gulf War pre-9-11, so it would have been that whole Desert Storm uh, type era. Uh, Post-9-11 Gulf War veterans are at about 47,000. And then uh, your Vietnam vets, like I said, your biggest making up uh, about a third uh, is at 97,000. So um, that's that's the breakdown by conflict um, uh, across the state. Uh, Brad, uh, you were talking about different type of veterans that we do have in Minnesota and around the country. I think the feds um, designate our veterans under four different categories, and maybe you could expand upon that a little bit. Uh, There's the disabled veteran, there's the retired veteran, there's the combat veteran, and there's the war veteran. I think those are the federally designated uh, types of veterans. Would you want to expand upon that just a little bit about the different type of, to follow up on John's question? Yeah, I, they're, they're really all veterans. The most basic definition under the federal law is, is anyone who served on you know active duty in the armed forces of the U.S., um, what it comes down to is eligibility for certain benefits, and um, that is different at both the state and federal level. So, um, yeah, generally a uh, 
something like a VA pension, a disability pension, which is for a low income uh, veteran is only for wartime veterans. So didn't necessarily have to serve in combat, but they had to serve during actual congressionally declared war period. Um, the uh, um, example on our side, or, or I'll go back to the feds again, you talk about a combat vet. Um, the real difference is somewhat in how they're treated in some of the VA processes. Um, so if you apply for disability compensation uh, and you say your injury was due to a certain thing, um, if you're a combat veteran and you say, I got bad knees because I carried a, a, a hundred pound rucksack and marched 20 miles a day, um, they're more lenient in viewing that than they are with someone who may have just served uh, in, in Germany for two years in the 70s, something like that. And that's actually written into law that they are more lenient uh, at looking at that. Uh, the circumstances of combat uh, play, a, play a role in how they evaluate uh, your disabilities. Um, Things like PTSD would be another example. Someone who has uh, an award for valor or who has something like, like you said earlier, I have a combat action badge. Uh, that's proof positive to the VA that someone was exposed to trauma in combat. So you don't have to prove a trauma uh, like you would if you weren't in combat. Um, and then, you know, we have some differences as well with your uh, Guard and Reserve. Uh, you know, a Guard and Reserve member who were never called to active duty, uh, their benefits are much more limited. Um, they do qualify under the Minnesota GI Bill as, as one example on the state side um, once they've served five years in the Reserves or Guard. Um, but... Uh, um, they wouldn't qualify like for our state soldiers assistance program uh, unless they had been called to active duty at some point. So yeah, it's really about the, uh, um, the benefit and um, they're very, they're, there's no such thing. I, I used to have veterans come in when I was a County veteran service officer, they would sit down at my desk and say, I'm here to apply for my benefits. What am I eligible for? And I literally, can't tell you <laughs> until I've looked at your discharge documents. I've discussed everything that happened to you in the service that may have led to a current disability or condition. Every single veteran is unique and depending on what they apply for uh, is what we have to prove and what, what uh, maybe based on your service and the circumstances of your service. So it's complex. Brad, does, um, does every one of our 87 counties have a CVSO, a County Veteran Service Officer? Absolutely. They, uh, they are boots on the ground. Um, by state statute, every county is required to have a County Veteran Service Officer. Uh, there's no requirement on uh, a number of hours work, so some of your smaller counties may have a service officer, but it may only be 10, 15 hours a week or something like that. But then larger counties like Hennepin County actually have a county veteran service officer, and then they've got like 12 assistant county veteran service officers to make sure they can handle the, the larger populations. Uh, as you could expect, Hennepin County is our largest population of veterans in, in the state. Um, but yeah, 
they're where you start for anything state or federal and uh, we train them that's one of the responsibilities of the minnesota department of veterans affairs is training of our county veteran service officers and certification of them we also provide them some uh, grant money uh, that we have through legislative grants uh, to make sure they're operating their offices the way they need to be operated to serve those who have served. Um, uh, Brad, if I could also, this is a personal aside. Uh, in sure. your in your office there at St. Paul, if you look on the wall, I'll bet you have a, a, a picture of all the former state commissioners of Veterans Affairs. We do. And uh, if you'd look on there and look for my very, very good friend, Bernie Melter, who was commissioner. Oh, yes. of, and I mentioned Bernie only because Cannon Falls is where he is from. And Cannon mm-hmm. Falls is in our listening audience here from, from Northfield. So we have, Absolutely. A, we have a lot of listeners over there in Cannon Falls. And we just want to give a kudo, a, a reach out to, uh, uh, to Bernie Melter, who has now passed on from us to the better, to a different world. But uh, uh, I think he, he was he commissioner has. for eight years, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, yeah, um, I, I've been, a, I've kind of been fortunate in my career. Um, as I said, I've been around for a long time since 1999, and uh, Bernie was my first commissioner that I ever worked for. So I knew him very well, and uh, he was a, a, a great person. Uh, also, like me, he was a former county veteran service officer. He had been the Goodhue County veteran service officer before he was commissioner. Um, he was a Marine. Uh, happy birthday to them today. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's right. And it, he was a retired Marine. So he was, he was very, uh, very proud uh, uh, of his service. And, well, and uh, a shout out, to, a shout out to all our listeners in the Cannon Falls area today for, uh, for their friend. And they should be very proud of having Bertie Melter as part of their community. Absolutely. I was proud to have known him. Uh, so, Commissioner Lindsay, let, let's talk specifics about some of the larger programs inside the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. What are the largest programs at MDVA, and, and how specifically do they serve our, our veterans? If you just want to be broad here, we can dive in a little more specifics uh, in a minute. Sure. Well, of course, we mentioned uh, you know my, my area that has the most staff dedicated and the most money uh, is our state veterans homes. As I said, the five, soon to be eight, uh, providing long-term care and also domiciliary care across the state. Uh, we provide that to, uh, I, I used to joke with the deputy commissioner on the healthcare side because uh, the population there uh, is about, uh, it's roughly a thousand beds that, that we, uh, um, we have and that they serve. And they do a very good job of that. And uh, if you ever go to one of our veterans homes, um, You've, you've never seen a nursing home uh, as nice as they are. Uh, they, they definitely uh, provide the respect to our veterans that, that they deserve. Can, can, um, I, can, I, can, but, I, uh, can I just yeah. ask a, interject one question on that? Because this is sure. something I'm very curious about. Uh, we do have a sizable veteran population. Significant numbers of those veterans are getting older. Are we even close to having as many beds as we need to care for veterans who need it? We're not. Um, the issue is that um, our veterans' homes are funded uh, about uh, 60%, I believe, off the top of my head, of the funding for our veterans' homes comes from federal, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 30% of our funding for our state veterans' homes comes from what they call VA per diem. Uh, 
So the VA is paying a daily uh, per diem for every veteran in the home. Um, they will only pay a per diem on a certain number for every state. And that number is based on the uh, number of those veterans who are 70% or more service-connected disabled. So we have a cap that we can get VA funding on, uh, which right now I think is 1,040, uh, if I remember right. Uh, we, with the three new homes, we will be right at our cap. Um, but yeah, you're right. That cap still leaves, uh, you know, 52% of our veterans population in the state is over the age of 65 right now. So there's more that are closer to that need potentially for long-term care than, than not. Um, but we're limited on our cap with the federal VA and what they'll, they'll reimburse us for per diem wise. Um, so we have those eight facilities and um, no doubt they will, uh, well, I, I already know the three new ones already have uh, lists and waiting lists that are big enough to fill them the minute the door opens. So yeah, the definitely the need is there, um, but we have to work within what we're getting. And then other major programs inside MDVA. Yeah, yeah. So uh, then we mentioned earlier state veterans cemeteries. So uh, for many, many years, we only had one up in Little Falls. It was uh, started in 1994. Uh, now we have four. Uh, we had legislative authority uh, to build three more in the uh, northeast, southeast, and southwest. Uh, we put one in Preston in 2014 for the southeast. Uh, we put one in Duluth, I think it was in 2019 or 2018 now, uh, for uh, the northeast. And then Redwood Falls, we just opened a brand new facility there and, and had the, uh, the dedication event uh, in August. Uh, on a very, very hot day to wear a suit. I think it was 102 <laughs> that day. I think I remember seeing that in the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got those. Uh, that, that's, you know, quite a bit of staff dedicated to that. Uh, good funding uh, and support we've received on taking care. Uh, the federal VA pays for the majority of the construction for those cemeteries, but then the states uh, have to take care of the operational costs of those ongoing so we've got good support on that. Um, outside of that, um, as I said, our state soldiers assistance program is a uh, program that's existed since 1923. It provides short-term disability assistance uh, for rent and mortgage and uh, living stipend and insurance and just whole plethora of things if a veteran becomes disabled and unable to work for at least a period of 30 days. There's also a low-income dental and optical program for veterans within that uh, and, a, and a small education assistance piece as well. Uh, one of the big pieces that was just created about uh, 10, 15 years ago now was our special needs grant. So we have a one-time grant uh, if someone has some kind of catastrophic type life event uh, you know, you're a 75 year old veteran on a fixed income and your furnace goes out up in Duluth in January um, and you don't have three, four or five thousand dollars sitting around. That's something we can assist with. 
those those crises in life to to get someone back on track and make sure they're able to to stay in their home and and, and keep uh, going forward. Um, Minnesota GI Bill is about a six million dollar uh, uh, annual open appropriation. Provide a lot of assistance to veterans there. About 1,700 uh, veterans received assistance under that last year for higher education, licensure certification, on-the-job training. Um, one thing that's kind of was my, uh, 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 I, I also have education folks. I have campus representatives who assist veterans who are going through higher education programs. Uh, they're in regions and uh, across the state providing assistance in veteran resource centers. Uh, I have tribal veteran service officers that are assisting our veterans who live on our Native American reservations uh, or in the area of uh, assisting them and connecting them to their benefits. Um, I have, uh, geez, sometimes I have to think about all the stuff we do because we do a lot. Um, let, let me help. Let me help you just a little yeah. bit there, Brad. I'll, I'll lead you into your next answer, okay? Sure, um, you bet. Um, a great big problem and a great yes. great concern of everyone is the suicide rate amongst mm -hmm. veterans. Uh, Debbie yes. and I were just watching a program the other night, late at night, and it, uh, it talked about the significant higher rate of suicide amongst veterans and other areas of the general population. Tell me a little bit about what we do for uh, suicide prevention. I believe you have a veterans crisis hotline. Um, tell us a little bit about that, would you, as you try to assist this significant problem we have for uh, for vets? Yeah, so that's kind of a, a newer thing um, as far as specifically targeting it. You know, as I said earlier, we, we created the core program with Lutheran Social Services to make sure that there was availability uh, across the state for veterans who had mental health needs. So that was really, I guess, our first step uh, in the past and looking to address the underlying factors and make sure the uh, veterans were getting the treatment and resources they needed. Uh, more recently, we created our uh, suicide prevention team and you're right, uh, um, veterans have a, a higher level than the normal population. Uh, in Minnesota, it equates to roughly about 100 veterans per year who take their life uh, by suicide. Um, it's been a fairly steady number for the last 20 years or so. Uh, our suicide prevention team uh, is something, like I said, we just created um, they're trying to do a lot of outreach and awareness uh, so far, a lot of training, making sure county veteran service officers are trained on uh, how to respond to someone who's suicidal. Um, but it also extends to everyone, uh, making sure that the family members uh, understand how to respond and understand the signs. Um, we've been out to a lot of, we, the team was just out to farm fest here not too long ago. Uh, anywhere we veterans are, we're just trying to make that awareness, um, and trying to also make the awareness of reducing, uh, access to lethal means as well. Uh, veterans overwhelmingly use firearms, uh, as their method uh, of suicide. So just making 
them and their family members aware if there's a, a way to slow down that access in the moment when someone's in crisis that few extra seconds or few extra minutes that maybe to, to take a gun lock off of their gun may be enough to to assist them or to stop the actor for them to think about it a little more so that's been one of the uh, one of the primary focuses so far we did get some additional funding this past session um, one of our ideas is uh, veterans who are connected to the VA uh, healthcare system have a much lower incidence than veterans who are not connected. So one of the things we got some funding for this year is a veterans uh, healthcare navigator uh, program. Our plan is to work with uh, local uh, starting off a couple of the larger hospitals in the twin cities putting a, a staff member there from our suicide prevention team who's also a counselor uh, a licensed clinical therapist something like that and if veterans come in to that system in crisis they'll be referred to our person on site who then can connect them back to the VA and these other resources. Because uh, like I said, we found when they're connected, it lowers the incident rate. So we're gonna do everything we do or we can do to make sure to get them connected. So that's kind of a new pilot program that we're just ramping up and, and uh, starting to do the hiring for right now. New um, program, new program possibly as you move ahead in this initiative, Brad, looking ahead, looking ahead to next year, 2024, or even uh, the next biennium, uh, are there mm -hmm. any specific initiatives or any initiatives that the uh, that your department has that you'd like to make the public or any of us aware of uh, as you approach the legislature? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that's that's the big one that we're actually implementing uh, here over the next few months. But um, you know, one of our ongoing and I would say is our our uh, number two most concerning uh, issue is veterans homelessness, of course. Um, we, uh, as an agency, uh, got serious about veterans homelessness in 2014. We brought in our first uh, homeless veterans coordinator. We created uh, our homeless veteran registry. And uh, that team has just continued to grow since then. And we've, we've had a significant impact. Um, the, uh, the pandemic definitely uh, hit us pretty hard. Uh, with, with our, our housing and being able to address those things. But overall, since 2010, the Minnesota's had about a 48% reduction in veterans homelessness um, through through those efforts and also through the efforts of our, our, our partners. Uh, you know, as I said a little bit earlier, we couldn't do it without the VA and some of the voucher programs that they have and then the landlords who are willing to assist as well. But uh, as we've moved forward, we've identified, you know, new things or, or additional things that were required to actually get to the goal of reaching functional zero for veterans homelessness in Minnesota. Um, the state is split into what they call continuums of care, and there are 10 of them in Minnesota. Uh, so far, we've been successful in getting a declaration of functional zero in eight of those continuums of care. Uh, so the only remaining areas are Hennepin County and Ramsey County. Um, with this final push, uh, the biggest 
problem we've had is is veterans who either have a federal they call them a HUD, HUD bash voucher they either have a federal voucher to pay their rent or we have our own similar state program uh, that will also give them a voucher to pay their rent but we've got a whole bunch of veterans with vouchers but nowhere to go hmm. we haven't been able to find housing you know minnesota like everywhere kind of has a housing shortage uh, and as I said, the pandemic created issues with construction and some delays there as well. But um, we've had to kind of take it in our own hands to uh, fund that housing ourselves. So one of our biggest partners is the Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans. And we've gotten additional grant funds uh, dedicated specifically to them to secure housing units. Uh, and they purchased some old apartment buildings in certain places, some individual units and others, and they've rehabbed those with the money we provided. And then they've been able to move in our veterans who, like I said, have a way to pay for it, but don't have a place to go right away. Um, we had a few additional asks in that area um, last uh, session that we didn't get fully funded. So uh, one of the main things we're asking for in this uh, as you know, Steve, this is a bonding year supplemental <laughs> session coming up. So you can't ask for, you know, the really big things, but you can ask for things, you know, potentially where you didn't get everything the last year or or, uh, or policy type things. So we're, we're asking mainly for the rest of the money we need to secure some of these housing units so that we can make this final push. Uh, our plan right now and our expectation based on our work with the u.s interagency council on homelessness who uh, reviews your state and determines when you've met functional zero uh, for veterans homelessness our work with them we think in january or so we're going to be able to declare functional zero for veterans homelessness in hennepin county and then we're hoping ramsey county by the end of next year so we're very close. There's only about 300 uh, veterans in the state that are on our homeless veteran registry. So it's not it's not a huge uh, push, uh, but uh, um, we need what we need to, to, to get it done and to push us over the finish line. Well, Brad, it, it sounds like anyway from uh, the press that there may be a little bit of a budget surplus again coming up this next year. Not as large as last year, obviously, but the little one. So maybe with uh, this importance of the uh, the homelessness ho homelessness project and or the suicide project maybe we'll find enough priority to uh, to send a few resources your way i i have uh, i have high expectations uh governor walls is very very supportive uh, of both of those efforts and um, the legislature has been all along as well uh, as i said um uh, we were very successful this past session and even the session before one of the one of the greatest things is the last two sessions we've managed to get a separate veterans omnibus bill um, mm -hmm. so we had all of our items uh, separated from everything else that may be controversial out there which as you know sometimes throws roadblocks in your way um, but when we have that omnibus bill it's just veterans stuff and generally both sides support that very well and, and uh, we can do what we need to do for our vets. Getting, getting closer to the constitutional charge of a single subject area then if we could keep it just to veterans issues and programs. Good idea. I'd, right. 
So, uh, Commissioner Lindsay, uh, very quickly, Minnesota Departments of Veterans Affairs, you, you work, obviously, with lots of different veterans groups in Minnesota. I'm thinking about the larger organizations like the American Legion and the Veterans of Foreign Wars, you know, VFW. Uh, we have uh, both here in, in, in Northfield. I'm actually a lifetime member of the VFW Post, the Eugene and H. Uh, Truax Post 4393. I would imagine the larger veterans organizations work pretty closely with MDVA. Uh, to discuss needs, programs, legislative initiatives, related topics. Is, is that true? Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I don't know how long it's been in existence, uh, but we have a, a group called the Commander's Task Force. So the Commander's Task Force is made up of the uh, commanders of the major veterans organizations. As you said, it's uh, VFW, it's the American Legion, it's Disabled American Veterans, it's Paralyzed Veterans of America, and it's Jewish War Veterans of America, uh, and the Marine Corps League uh, make up that Commander's Task Force currently. So they have monthly meetings, and they meet with us and um, uh, gather from us what we see as the needs for the veteran community, bringing forth the needs that they see themselves. And every year they establish a legislative agenda for the Commander's Task Force. Um, often, uh, MDVA's budget is part of that. Um, they're very supportive of us and, uh, and our mission moving forward. But then, you know, everything else that may be out there affecting veterans, they were one of the major uh, um, factors in pushing forward the disabled veterans' uh, um, market value exclusion for property taxes. Hmm. Uh, that couldn't have been done without the commander's task force. And then later on extensions of that to uh, the survivors and uh, widows and widowers of veterans to, to maintain that benefit as well. So yeah, it's a regular monthly meeting with us, uh, lots of good back and forth and information shared and, and ideas. Uh, and then we move forward together. Um, with them, uh, supporting their agenda, and they're usually supporting our agenda as well. So, uh, so Commissioner, we're kind of closing in on the end of our scheduled hour. Can you go a couple minutes uh, beyond? Is that okay? Do you have time? Oh, yeah. Yep, I'm good, too. Okay, just want to double-check. Uh, we want to be uh, respectful of, of the time that you have available to spend with us. Uh, are there manpower shortages inside, inside uh, the department? Do you need uh, people? Uh, are you seeking uh, employees, talented people, to come in and help our, our veterans here in Minnesota? Uh, we very much are. Um, so one of the, uh, so healthcare is of course a challenge across the board. Um, every healthcare organization is having issues with, with hiring, you know, the pandemic, a uh, lot of people left healthcare, got out of healthcare. Um, after that, it was a, it was a grueling, uh, couple years for those folks. So, uh, and we appreciate those who stayed on with us and uh, continue to take care of our vets. But yeah, we've uh, we have staffing shortages across the board in our our state veterans homes, uh, generally in uh, nursing and certified nursing assistance uh, areas, uh, but also food service and maintenance and things like that as well. So. It's actually in our current homes, uh, the staffing shortages are preventing us from um, filling our beds to capacity hmm. um, because we don't, we don't have the staff to take care of a, a fully filled uh, facility right now. 
on top of that, as we mentioned earlier, you know, we're getting ready to open three new veterans homes and we've been uh, hiring all summer uh, and trying to make sure that we had the staff in place to open those to capacity. And uh, that's going to be a, a, a further challenge and a further strain. You know, luckily, geographically, they're all fairly separate, so they don't uh, really compete with each other. Uh, but of course, they, they do compete with uh, community providers out there who are also short and looking for services. So yeah, uh, to answer your question very detailed right now, I have 439 uh, position vacancies Wow! Uh, across this agency. Um, like I said, most of them nursing or certified nursing assistants. So um, we're offering hiring incentives, bonuses. We're offering retention uh, incentives. Uh, we're offering referral bonuses for our own staff who uh, tell a friend and get them to come to work for us. So um, anything we can do, uh, if, if you're you're in those fields and you're looking to um, get into the uh, a great mission, serving America's veterans and Minnesota's veterans, uh, we we've got a place for you. Well, Acting Commissioner uh, Brad Lindsay with roots in uh, Nurse Strand and New Prague in our whole listening area, you are you are a gem. You are a gem and a real credit to Minnesota and to Minnesota veterans. Uh, Acting you, commissioner, maybe you should tell your tell our listening audience uh, why the word acting is in front of you. So, uh, um, yes, it, I was, as you said, I was a, I've been the deputy commissioner of our programs and services division since uh, 2014. Um, this spring, um, we had some uh, staffing uh, challenges and issues with our veterans' homes, uh, which required me to uh, move over to being the deputy commissioner of veterans' health care, being in charge of the homes for uh, about a three-month period until we replaced the deputy on that side. Uh, really uh, unfortunate timing, uh, but that exact same week, our Commissioner uh, Larry Herkey, who had been having um, some health issues for the last year or so, um, found out that he was diagnosed with uh, ALS, so Lou Gehrig's disease, um, which is also uh, a disease that is uh, more prevalent in veterans. Um, and it's it's an odd it's an odd thing that the VA actually has it in federal law that it's a presumptive condition of military service. There's no other condition uh, that has a piece in law like that. Everything else is tied to something like you know Vietnam vets. The presumptive conditions are all tied to Agent Orange. Uh, they don't know why veterans have a higher rate of it, but they do, and they put that in law. So. Um, yeah, he was diagnosed with ALS and uh, um, spent some time trying to, uh, you know, get treatment and uh, figure out what his prognosis was on that. Uh, he eventually, during that time, I was the, uh, the state statute determines the title names. I was the interim commissioner uh, while he was still actually the commissioner. But then he retired here at the uh, end of August, I believe it was. 
And uh, at that time, by statute, the deputy commissioner automatically becomes the temporary commissioner. So, yeah, technically by statute, I'm the temporary commissioner until the governor uh, appoints a new commissioner. So, uh, and then you so I've been serving actually in the role about seven months, and I, I'm proud to do so. And, and uh, I hope I've kept the, uh, the, the ship on course. Well, I hope Governor Walls is um, wise enough to make you not take the word acting off the front part of uh, Commissioner Lindsay and then assume you would have to go before the Senate for confirmation. Uh, yes, I would. I, I appreciate that very much. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Senate confirmation would be required. Well, Brad, I'm going to end my part of this by just saying uh, thank you to yourself for your service to Minnesota and Minnesota veterans, but especially thank you. If people enjoy their freedom, Make sure they go out and thank a veteran on Veterans Day and every day of the year, not just Veterans Day. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you for your service and, and your support of our agency during your time in the legislators, legislature as well. Appreciate it. I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Commissioner, are there any uh, special programs for Veterans Day tomorrow that, uh, that you'd like to highlight for our listeners? Yes, absolutely. So tomorrow, uh, of course, is our, our, our big annual to-do. Um, we uh, hold the official state uh, Veterans Day event. Uh, that'll be at the uh, uh, Invergrove Veterans and Community Center over in Invergrove Heights. Um, so we have a free breakfast that's at 8.30 a.m. Uh, and then our actual program starts at uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll have the uh, uh, 34th Infantry Division Red Bull Band there from the Minnesota mm -hmm. National Guard. We'll have the uh, uh, Adjutant General of the Guard, uh, General Mankey, uh, several members of our congressional delegation. Uh, I volunteered to be the MC, so <laughs> you'll, you'll see me. Uh, and uh, it, it's a it's a well attended. Normally we uh, we've had up to about 500. We had to, of course, during COVID. Uh, go to uh, a virtual event where we, we held those online. Uh, this is kind of the first uh, time since then that we're fully uh, um, going back on site and providing the breakfast and everything that we did prior to COVID. So we're hoping for a, a record turnout uh, uh, for Saturday. And like you said, honoring the vets uh, who attend that and, and, and those who can't. So. I'm going to throw a couple of last quick questions at you just because we want to make sure that people understand sort of the changing nature of what it means to be a veteran. Uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm imagining just like the Veterans Administration at the federal level had to learn this, uh, MDVA has been learning this over the years, but veteran isn't just men. Uh, we have a lot of women who are now mm -hmm. veterans, and you have to change and adapt the programs that are available to support our female veterans uh, who served in uniform in combat zones, as a matter of fact. Right. Uh, how, how have you transitioned over programs at the MDVA to take into account that we have a lot more female veterans now that are part of the veteran population? Sure, sure. Yeah. So our, our, our female veterans make up about 8% of our, our veteran population in the state. Um, they're, they're growing uh, as a percentage of that population because the uh, older generations, uh, again, were, of course, primarily male uh, and those were some some larger populations in, in past periods. Um, 
a lot of the stuff that's specifically tied to differences with women veterans is kind of you know on the healthcare realm. Um, so very much affects the VA medical centers, and, and of course they've uh, put in specific veteran women veterans clinics and provided OBGYN services, things like that that they never well they weren't doing it ten years ago, frankly. So a lot of changes with that. Uh, on our side, more uh, with the advocacy uh, role, um, we have a, a women veterans coordinator uh, who works for the agency full time. Um, and so we besides that, though, we've also got quite a few women veterans who actually work in other roles. Uh, we have veterans claim representatives that help veterans with their disability stuff we have we have females in that area we have female uh campus representatives so uh women veterans are pretty fairly well represented in our agency and the programs and services we provide um you know we know sometimes uh, uh women veterans uh have sensitive subjects uh, uh and, and disabilities related to things like military sexual trauma so that's where we really uh focus on our women's coordinator to be the one to uh, be able to take that person in and make them feel comfortable and, and, and you know, be, be a sister, if you will, uh, with those kind of special uh, circumstances that need uh, a little more sensitivity, I guess. Um, and we're, we're well, well poised to help with that. Our county veteran service officer partners too, um, I was just at their fall conference here in uh, Niswa uh, in uh, September, and I would say a good third of the county veteran service officers now out there are, are women veterans themselves. Wow. So um, we're, uh, we're, we're well poised, and, and no woman veteran should feel uh, excluded or unappreciated or, or like they're not going to get uh, the recognition or the uh, respect they deserve. And then I, I, I want to go back uh, and just talk. It's going to be a bit of a sensitive question, uh, but I think you can sort of help clarify things for our, for all of our listeners. We have we have lots and lots and lots of veterans out there. Uh, each individual veteran, as you mentioned, is an individual in his or her own right. They've all had their own experiences. They handle the challenges of serving in the military uh, combat zones or direct combat, uh, all very uniquely individually to who they are as a person. Some people have better coping skills than others. So not all veterans, even those who've been in combat, uh, necessarily are suffering from severe PTSD or have suicidal thoughts. We should be clear about that uh, to our to our fellow Americans, uh, that the the young men and women, even older men and women who've been through uh, combat service who need those that that support we need to give it to them but that is not every member of the veteran population uh, would you care to comment on that at all in your experience no you're you're a hundred percent right um, uh, you know we we help those uh, who have those issues and those issues absolutely exist um, but you know I, one of one of my sayings uh, I, I guess that I've had for a long time that uh, uh, our staff kind of get a kick out of is I, I like to say veterans are people too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're, they're just because you're a veteran doesn't mean, you know, 
you're not eligible for every other service that every other citizen out there is eligible for. You know, you don't just have to seek veterans benefits. There, there are other things. Um, but as you said, they're they're unique unto themselves, and and their service depends on uh, determines kind of what what their eligibility are. But yeah, I've said the same thing in the past. Uh, you know. One of the best things we can do for our veterans is when they come home to make sure they're supported and to get them into education or employment, uh, you know, a good job and a good education, good education leading to a good job is probably the best way to prevent someone from being homeless or from being suicidal or uh, uh, focusing too much on certain issues in the past and moving forward. Um, and a concern I always have, but you know, they're, they're major things that affect the community and we really have to take care of those folks who have those issues. But there's always a, a, a fear if, if it's if you make it seem like to bring the 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 amount of focus you need to solve those problems there's a balance in not making it seem as if it's so widespread that all of a sudden our employers and our communities uh, don't want to hire veterans or or don't want to be around veterans because you know this person's a ticking time bomb sort of thing um they're not they're right. not. Yeah. Uh, these, these are these are uh, as you said. Most folks go and do their service. Uh, most of them aren't injured. Uh, most of them serve honorably. They're discharged. They come back to their communities. Uh, and they go to school. They get a job, and they raise a family and live their life. And, and they uh, and they come back those, into the civilian world uh, w- with tremendous skills and working on a team. They've got leadership skills. They've got technical skills. They bring an awful lot to the table for all of our employers in the state of Minnesota. Absolutely. And and in those cases where those who struggle, uh, we're here to assist them and to get them onto that path as well. So, Commissioner Lindsay, we're, we're right up against the end of our, our time. Uh, we always like to give our guests the final word here on public policy this week. Uh, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners, maybe about a minute or so? Uh, I, I just appreciate it, uh, gentlemen. I, I appreciate you having me on today. Um, just anything to help get the word out. Uh, as I said, this is a, a kind of a shrinking population um, and uh making sure veterans are recognized and uh, understood uh, is helpful to us. And, um, you know, Veterans Day doesn't just have to be once a year as well. So it should uh, be, uh, should be every day, Brad. At at MDVA, that's, that's a saying (laughs) we have here. Every day is Veterans Day at MDVA. Commissioner Uh, Lindsay, we, uh, we thank you so very, very much for joining us this morning. Uh, We appreciate your time. But even more, we appreciate the great support, the great work you do for Minnesota veterans. Thank you both. I appreciate you. And, folks, that'll do it for this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us today for our show, and have a fantastic Friday afternoon and a superb weekend. Please get out there and uh, help support the various uh, Veterans Day events that will be taking place tomorrow. We'll be with you again next Friday morning at 10 a.m., and we hope you can join us. Take care, everybody. 
You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.